Folks, the melee for mayor is almost over. And tomorrow, St. Louis City residents will decide who will lead their city into the next decade. So we decided to bring the reporters who've been covering this crazy campaign together to answer some key questions about what may influence the results. That's the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And joining us as our special guest host is... Rachel Lippman. We don't have a guest today because it is the day before the March 7th City of St. Louis Municipal Primary. Woohoo! Melee for mayor. Right, the melee for mayor. And we figure that you want to hear all of our great yes. insights. You want us to pontificate. You know, we've given you the great information in our voter's guide and all the different posts that we've been doing. And really, it's just kind of our turn to, like, regurgitate what we've been thinking about with all this information we've gathered for you. But also point you in some directions. So what if you care about this stuff, where you need to look and what you need to ignore. Yeah, we're not going to tell you how to vote. That's that's up to you. But we are going to talk about the things that could determine the outcome. This is... I, I would say this is an unprecedented race. We have not seen a situation where there's been this many candidates, even in 1993, where there, I think there were three or four major candidates, Joe, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, we're going to rely on you for this one, Joe. Right. Yes. What? Well, yes. But it, but it wasn't the the same. That that 93 race had history written all over it. That's when uh, Freeman Bosley won, became the first um African-American mayor, but in some ways it's reflective of some of the tensions now because Tom Villa, who was leaving from the Board of Aldermen at the time, was Board of Aldermen president and had been ex- was considered the favorite. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to win. I'm putting quotes around this. Yes. And But, and this brings in the racial dynamics, um, Tony Roboto, who at the time was a state legislator from South St. Louis, uh, had a lot of ties in Jeff City. He um, also was running, and there was a lot of accusations that the Bosley camp was trying to keep Roboto in to cut the white vote, to split the white vote and help Bosley. Now, Bosley always denied all that, but my point is that there was all this turmoil around that primary because of that, and in some ways, while it's different now, there's whole sorts of different uh, racial and voting dynamics. It is something that is interesting to compare with what we're seeing now. I, I have actually marked down six key questions that I think are going to be important to decide the St. Louis's to, to decide the city's destiny. Basically, the St. Louis is is not a thing, although it should probably be a thing. <laughs> So the Let's fr- make it happen. I mean, we made melee for mayor happen. So <laughs> the St. Louis. The the first question that I have is: Can Lida Crusen dominate in most of South St. Louis? Now, as you kind of alluded to, um, St. Louis tends to 
to break along racial lines when it comes to, to voting. And South St. Louis, for the most part, is majority white. And Lyda Crusen is, by all measures, the only major white candidate in the race. And there are three or four major black candidates in the race. But I, I think that there's some variables that may affect her performance in South St. Louis. First of all, she's not from South St. Louis. She's from the Central Corridor. Correct. Um, has deep ties to Southwest St. Louis. Correct. Um, and Southwest St. Louis happens to be the largest voting block in the city right now in, in many respects, as far as the wards that turn out at the highest percentages. Yes. The, Always among the top, yeah. But but that's been the case for about 30 years. Yes. It's been, a, it's been a while, but, I mean, for example, in the presidential election, the 16th Ward, which I like to champion because I live there, turned out 82% turnout. And in, in 2013, they also had the highest voter the, turnout The, the as Fighting well. Eighth is up in there, too, which is my ward. I, understood. And that's what I wanted to bring up, because when I say South St. Louis, I'm not only talking about Southwest St. Louis, I'm also talking about... Shaw South and Central mm-hmm. and, 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 Tower, Park. and Tower Grove. And which, those are mo- much more racially diverse than mm-hmm. they were 30 years ago. And, also, and they're also much more liberal. Yeah. And also yes. and also Southeast St. Louis, there are some wards which are majority African-American. Yes. Yes. In fact, Lewis Reed, when he ran in 2013, won the 20th ward, which is a majority African-American ward and almost won the sixth ward which I think is majority African-American. It might be 50-50. It's pretty diverse because you've got Lafayette Square and parts of um, downtown that kind of come in on the 6th Ward, I think. Yeah. So so we we talked with all the candidates over over the last few weeks, and, 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 and Lina Krusen brought up this point that I want to bounce off on. I have a history of taking on the tough issues uh, facing our community. So whether that is taking on big tobacco and passing the smoking ban, whether it is taking on the big drug companies and passing the prescription drug monitoring program, taking on the NRA all the way to the Supreme Court way back when we first had conceal and carry in uh, in this, this state, uh, which now has been, I think, 18 years ago, 17 or 18 years ago. Uh, you know, so certainly some of my policies are uh, – you know, are better with with uh, some constituencies than others. But I do have a, uh, a track record of taking on tough issues. Now, there's a very there was a very deliberate reason I played that clip, because a lot of Republicans who crossed over and voted for Francis Slay over the years live in South City. And based off those sentiments and Lyda Crusen's voting record, She's not very conservative on basically anything. That was the first thing I thought of, is that nothing that she's listing off in there, except for maybe the prescription drug monitoring program, are things where you're going to see a South City voter go, oh, you know, your your typical Southwest side, 16th Ward, 23rd Ward voter go, you know, oh, hey, these are things that I, I really like. The bar, I think, that I, challenged the city smoking ban is in South St. Louis and was like, no, I don't want this. So, Joe, do you think the fact that she doesn't have any moderate to conservative bonafides will affect how many people in South St. Louis vote for Lyda Crusen? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Now, in part, because one of the things she mentioned was guns. And while the guns is a big issue among conservatives in rural Missouri, if you go back, of course, it's been almost 20 years, to the concealed carry uh, vote, uh, the urban areas came out extremely huge uh, against concealed carry. So the Republican views on guns among urban Republicans is very different than what you have out state. So actually some of her stances on some things like that uh, actually might fit. Also on the prescription drug thing that Mar- that Rachel just mentioned, many of those 
uh, Republican conservative voters, uh, middle road voters in the 16th. They're white and they're like me, old. But but and so, but, but so, 2,400 yeah. of them voted for Donald Trump, and I imagine Correct. that many of them are not really keen on gun control. So when I don't you, know about that. I think you're jumping to conclusions on that. I, th- I mean, I'm also wondering though if like the Republican Party hasn't changed in the state quite a bit in the 20 years since concealed carry. That if you put it up to another hypothetical statewide vote, if you wouldn't see similar. It would obviously still probably fail in urban areas because they're pretty heavily Democratic and just by the nature of being urban. But if you would see Republicans come out and say, yes, we are for concealed carry, even though we live in the urban areas. Well, I, I don't think we can replay that election. We can, but it's we're, still we're, a different. We're, we're going to get to the Republicans later. But but do you want to make one more point before we go to the next well, question? Well, we'll wait till we go later. We'll save that for later in the show. But the, the second question I had, will the turnout among African-Americans be larger than 2013? So there's been a lot of discussion about whether the four major black candidates are going to split the African-American vote, which is a pertinent question since the city of St. Louis is a majority African-American population. But as Alderman Antonio French pointed out here, that may not actually be the most important question here. Our focus needs to not be on the number of African-Americans running for office. It needs to be on the number of African-Americans voting. Mm -hmm. And if the numbers are as bad as they have been in the past, that is that the turnout among African-Americans is only 20 to 25 percent, then it's very unlikely the city will see another African-American mayor for many years. I think that has been the case, though, is that um, people just haven't felt that there's been candidates that had their back, or maybe they felt like they hadn't had a choice. Joe, what do you think about uh, Alderman French's sentiments there? Actually, I think that he's right on point. Now, I predict that actually turnout may be higher than normal uh, um, in the African-American areas because they, they have four very strong Democratic candidates to choose from. And I know that some uh, prominent African-American activists and business leaders privately have been critical of this, saying that they should have all coalesced behind one or two. I think in some ways having four who are strong, have strong views, are well-respected, I think actually it may energize people to come out, even if it does split the vote. I think it will split the vote big time. But I think, though, it could be uh, a harbinger of the future. What do you think, Rachel? Um, I'm wondering if there's not things that are on sort of the down ballot. You've got a lot of open aldermanic races in places where there haven't been open aldermanic races in a while, like up in the Third Ward, for example. You've got um, Freeman Bosley not running again since the first time since 88 or 89. He's been on the board for a while. You've got an open seat up in the 27th Ward, Northwest St. Louis. Um, You've got ballot issues, uh, one in particular, only the um, payday loan, uh, some new some new restrictions on payday loans. So, you know, like uh, Antonio said, like Alderman French said, that there may be things where they think their interests aren't being um, recognized. And this is also the first big city election since Ferguson, since Michael Brown. There's a lot more political and civic engagement since then that I think could drive votes not only in the African-American community, but in sections of the, the white community as well as maybe in the more sort of progressive wing of the Democratic Party. There was a city election in 2015, but Lewis Reed, when he was running for re-election, faced off against Jimmy Matthews. So I exactly. don't think that was a particularly marquee race. No, I'm, no. twenty. Uh, you have to look at another mayoral year, mm-hmm. which I, is the first mayor's race. I think that's fair. So the the next question I have is kind of an age-old question about whether money and organization matters. 
Now, this is not like running for governor, like where you most of your money goes toward paid media. Some of it does, obviously, and I think that is not unimportant. But I think the vast majority of of, of campaign treasure in the city of St. Louis goes toward mail. Mm-hmm. It goes toward paid canvassers. It, it it goes toward campaign staff that can lead volunteers and, and stoke enthusiasm among the gra- grassroots. And uh, Board of Aldermen President Louis Reed ran in 2013. His campaign was criticized as lackluster by many people. And I asked him when he came on the show whether he learned of anything. And he offered this really interesting sentiment that I want to play right now. The cadence of, this, of the mayor's race in the city of St. Louis, because of the way it's situated, uh, you know, after the presidential election, then you have, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and everything else in between there. You have to really spend a lot of time uh, getting your infrastructure together and ready to hit the ground right after the first of the year for this really hard sprint to the finish line. Uh, but prior to that, you you do some voter contact, but you have to be careful about your spending prior to that because uh, you it can just get washed away in everything that's happening during that presidential election. So uh, and then you know, of course, directly after the presidential election, the last thing uh, the voters want to hear about is you know politics going into the holidays and after having you know a gazillion commercials ran. The mailboxes run over by literature and stuff. Now, I think he makes a good point that even though someone like Lyda Cruson may have has raised the most money and has spent the most money, voters may not be really engaged until basically now, right before the election. And as you pointed out in your story, uh, Lewis Reed appears to have the most money in the bank, although whether that's because he hasn't paid for advertisements or not remains to be seen. Do you think that what do you think of his comments about how these candidates are, are doing right now, Joe? Well, I think if you look at his campaign report, one of the things that intrigued me was was that he has long lists of canvassers, mm-hmm. paid canvassers. The longest list of all the candidates from what I looked at just from this last eight-day report, which tells me that he is putting a lot of money on boots on the ground, trying to get people to get door-to-door, make sure people vote. Now, that can pay off. Um, I think your your point, Jason, that this is not a gubernatorial election is is actually very on point because in mayor's races, sometimes they have bans. They have other ways to make sure people get to the Reed polls. Reed has an RV. He, he has does. an RV he with, with the space RV. on it. But yeah, continue. Yeah, because they've got to get these people to the polls. And in some cases, they, they vote absentee. But really, the most of the voters will turn out. On election day, and I think that that's, um, I, I I think that's one of the reasons that he tried to bank so much for this last week to make sure he had money for all that. Now again, though, I think though that he may not have some he may have some bills that he hasn't paid, but but I thought that was smart because Cruson, while she's raised and spent the most, actually goes into this final uh, week with her and Tashara Jones basically have virtually the same amount of money. For that last push, it's Reed who has the extra money. Do you think that being running for mayor before like Reed has may put him at an advantage because he knows what to do and the other candidates have either only run for lower citywide offices or have never done it before? 
and probably also Board of Aldermen, too. I know he had the Board of Aldermen president, too. He hasn't had a truly contested race in that in a while. But I think running multiple times citywide as he had, you do start to get a feel for the, the as he put it, sort of the rhythm of the race. I'm wondering, though, if Cruson's been the one up on TV pretty much, not constantly, but for the longest time, if that isn't just serving more as a signal to those more continually engaged voters down in the south, south side of St. Louis, just to say, you know, put their name in her minds and get them to associate her with the mayor, the ones who are already going to go out and vote anyway, maybe don't really need the nudge other than just the reminder of there's an election. Mm -hmm. You get yourself up on TV and not enough, those motivated voters are going to be like, oh, hey, I've heard this name. She's talking about ideas that I like. Public safety, I know, is a big uh, big ad of hers. I'm going to go pull the lever, quote unquote, next to her name. Yeah. And I know signs don't vote. And that's, that's, this is anecdotal. But I can tell you from running, uh, literally running around <laughs> Southwest St. Louis, yeah. not just the 16th Ward, but also the 12th and the 14th, a surprisingly large amount of Reed signs there. I don't think Reed is going to win Southwest St. Louis, but there are a lot of firefighters, lot of firefighters that live there. there. Yeah. He's been endorsed by that union. It'll be remain to be seen if whether any of them can gain a foothold. Uh, the next question that I have is which type of endorsements matter? Because the endorsements in this race have basically split all over the place. Uh, Lida Cruson has a lot of different aldermanic and ward organization endorsements, and Francis Slay has endorsed her. Yeah, and the two former mayors have endorsed her. I know that <laughs> there are some in this room who say that endorsements by uh, Shamel and Jim Conway don't count for much, but I think they do with the, frankly, the older electorate that she's going to be relying ha- on. I didn't, I didn't argue that they didn't mean <laughs> anything. I just meant that if we were meaning to sort of direct it to people who might not be as involved or absorbed in politics as we are, nobody's going to really know that Vince Shamel was did, the former did, mayor. Did Bosley or Harmon endorse? I mean, no. they're, they're former mayors. No, no, and they didn't, and which I think is intriguing because they're both well, they're the they're only two African Amer- American mayors that the city has had, and I think it's intriguing that neither of them, at least publicly, is out that much, and they're not uh, endorsing anybody or doing anything to help any of the candidates. Now, as I mentioned before, Reed has the support of the firefighters. He has mm-hmm. the support of the teachers' union. Yep. Uh, Congressman Lacey Clay, who endorsed Mayor Slay in 2013 over Reed, has endorsed Reed, which I don't think is insignificant, though sometimes... Clay picks winners and sometimes he picks losers. Um, and Antonio French got the Post-Dispatch editorial board and is being supported by Jennifer Joyce. Uh, Tashara Jones may have the most interesting collection of endorsements <laughs> because she does have some ward endorsements, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. Um, she has also been backed by a number of aldermen who are both white and black mm-hmm. and also has the support of former Secretary of State Jason Kander and St. Louis County Assessor Jake Zimmerman, who and LeVar Burton from and, and, and LeVar Burton, <laughs> plus a lot of the the progressive, mobilized Missouri Workers Party, um, sort of the the Bernie wing, quote unquote, if you want to call it, of yeah. the Democratic Party. And here's 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 Jones kind of talking about how she's trying to reach a, a broad coalition of support. We are uh, campaigning with everyone, um, and. Um, our message of one St. Louis means, you know, everyone is included, no matter you're white, black, Latino, uh, Asian, American, whatever. And we have done outreach to those communities as well. So, Joe, with that as a backdrop, do any of these endorsements matter in such a fractured race? Well, I think one that may very well matter, which I think you may not have mentioned or maybe I just didn't hear it, is the Police Officers Association, yep. which is behind Cruson. Yes. 
And that, I think, in some ways cancels out a little bit of the firefighters. And if the police officers are particularly active with Cruson, that can make a difference because I think in some ways that kind of negates any talk about the gun issue. And I, I just think that's the kind of thing that many of the police officers live in the southwest part yes. of the city, and that can energize. Uh, and and I, I just need to make this point because, again, while driving around South St. Louis— are running around South St. Louis. I've seen a lot of Blue Lives Matter signs. I've seen flags with the blue stripes in it. There is pretty deep support for this pushback against the Ferguson protest movement in mm-hmm. that part of the city. Go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, and and two, and the police don't like a lot of the other candidates in the race. Um, they're not keen on Tashara. They're not really keen on Antonio either. I think they're sort of neutral on Reed. They backed Lida because they think she's a winner in some ways. But you know, you get them to, to come out. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of uh, probably signaling kind of going on in endorsements. Um, Slay, I think, signals to and we'll get to this question next, I know, but signals to, you know, some of the Republicans that, hey, this individual's OK. She isn't going to rock the boat too much in terms of the status quo, um, you know, for Lida. I mean, yeah, some of the endorsements could turn people off. Um, but are they people that were going to be voting for those candidates anyway? Like, I don't know that anyone who is outraged over uh, Cruson's St. Louis police officer's endorsement was necessarily going to be voting for her anyway. That, that's a good point. And I think that that sometimes is understated in camping like this. But let's let's go back to the Republicans for a second, because, yes, St. Louis is a heavily Democratic jurisdiction. The winner of the Democratic primary is probably going to become the next mayor, barring some cataclysmic political shift. But I think that just saying that St. Louis is a Democratic city kind of understates the fact that a lot of Republicans still live in the city. And in a divided race like this, where the winner may be have a margin of a thousand votes or so, whether Republicans cross over or not could make a difference. So I'm going to play a clip from Andrew Jones. He is arguably the only Republican candidate for mayor who's actually trying to become the Republican nominee in April. Uh, we asked him how many people will vote for him as opposed to voting in the Democratic primary. Well, I think we're going to be strong in the South. I think the 16th Ward probably votes at a higher percentage than anyone, any other ward votes. And I think we're going to get our fair share of Republican, entrenched Republican voters. I think we're going to get our fair share of those undecided. And I think, believe it or not, I really believe that there are a lot of frustrated Democrats out there who really want change because they could see the precipitous slide. Joe, do you think that Republican voters will decide to stay in the Republican primary and vote for someone like Andrew Jones or Andy Carranza for our Jim Osher? Or do you think that they're pragmatic and are going to want to vote in the Democratic primary? Well, if if past is prologue, uh, there's going to be a lot of Republicans crossing over because they want to have a say in who's going to be the next mayor. The last time that there was a very viable Republican candidate for mayor was in 1981 when Jerry Wamser, uh, he was a lawyer, uh, got the nomination. He was about the same age, early 30s, and he ran against Vince Shamel. It was actually got pretty competitive. There were some televised debates. I actually covered all this. <laughs> and uh, But my point being is that he actually had people energized. Uh, I'm not seeing that type of energy on the Republican side for anybody in the Republican camp. So I assume that they're all going to play ball in the uh, Democratic primary. Sometimes there is actually Republican efforts. In fact, Wamser, uh, who uh, was very active in the 97 mayoral race, 
getting Republicans to cross over to vote for Clarence Harmon. Uh, so I think that um, I think the the question is how many do it? How many or or does some figure well? Cruson's leading the polls. I don't need to bother. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think that's more of a threat to her totals than any than them deciding to play in the GOP primary. What do you think, Rachel? My instinct says is is along the same lines as Joe that there's going to be an element of pragmatism. We want to actually have a say in the race, but maybe not at the the level that. Um, would really push Cruson over the line. And just as just to continue talking about the 16th Ward, because it is so great, there is an open aldermanic yeah. seat that is very competitive. Both candidates unbelievably have like $50,000 that they can spend, which I think is unheard of for an aldermanic race. And I think that a lot of people may want to vote in that and thus may vote in the mayor's, mayor's race, regardless of what party there is. Because there is no Republican primary in that aldermanic race. Whether that race is competitive in April, we'll talk about in April. Yay! So let's talk a little bit about the aldermanic races. We're running a little short on time because we're all very, very busy people. Um, my, my question is, do you think that any of the incumbents who are facing opposition should be worried? Rachel, both of us have interviewed some of the incumbents. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that question? I think Ken Ortman in the ninth. Is, should probably be worried, and the race in the 15th is absolutely fascinating. I don't know that Megan Green in the 15th, the incumbent, is worried, but that's going to be a close race regardless of who wins there. She's running against the former alderwoman of the ward, Jennifer Florida, who wants her old seat back. Oh, and former recorder of deeds. That is true. Jennifer yes, Florida. Florida, which is part of the reason that she's a former alderman and also part of the reason that Megan's running in her fifth third election in two and a half years. Now, now Joe, Joe, you've covered the Board of Aldermen for a while on and off. Um, There's going to be a lot of new people that join it, regardless of whether incumbents lose or not, because there are so many open seats. When there's kind of a wave of new people, does that affect how the board operates? Or does seniority matter in that body uh, more than uh, fresh ideas, essentially? Well, I'm really going to show my age here, because in the late 70s, uh, and in the mid-70s, there was a group of uh, aldermen, mainly men, who were elected about the same time. They were all young lawyers, and this included Dick Gephardt, who then went mm. on to be congressman. I did not uh, know Dick Gephardt used uh, to be on the board of aldermen. And, <laughs> and uh, Bill Clay, who uh, was elected in the late 60s. I mean, the the point being is that you had this group of aldermen, some um, African-American, some white, but they became known as the Young Turks. Mm-hmm. There was this particularly group from South St. Louis, and Gebhardt was sort of the ringleader. And they had a major influence, uh, not only on legislation, but on just the whole character of the board. A lot of the older aldermen, like Red Villa, used to go to some of these guys to have them help craft bills so that the bills would, um, you know, fit the legalese right. And it really, I think, changed the dynamics at City Hall for a long time. In fact, Vince Shamel who was only in his mid th- early 30s when he was elected mayor in 1981. Vince was sort of at the young age of that, but he was part of this group that w- actually benefited by the Young Turks. And so I think that they could have, if you have enough of them, it can really change the whole dynamic. Now, there, there has been kind of an influx of younger aldermen over the last five or ten years, but I think one of the reasons I don't think you can call them a block is because they are part of different factions, they kind of have different worldviews. Like, for example, Jack Coder is a lot different from Megan Green or, or Kara Spencer. Very different. And even someone Very like different. Shane Cohn, who I think is on the younger side, 
I would say is a little bit different from a pragmatic and strategic standpoint than some of the aldermen I just mentioned, too. Depending on who is elected um, and if I mean, there's already one very senior alderman we know is gone because he's not running again. A second could theoretically, although I don't think so, be toppled. The most senior alderman on the board. You're if things kind of turn out right, you might see the way you're probably going to see the most movement is in development issues. Um, that's kind of where there's been this block starting to to coalesce and really move the needle. But I think it's going to take a, a different shift or another round to really see it move in all areas. Okay. In the final minute, I'm going to ask a very existential question. Why should we care who becomes the next mayor of St. Louis? Joe, you go first. Okay. Well, it's changed from what it used to be. The, St. Louis used to control the region. Now they don't, ne- the city, but now they don't necessarily do so. But it really does. Whoever is mayor, depending on how they govern, can really either help elevate the city's profile and not just regionally, but also nationally. They can also push the needle uh, how they deal with St. Louis County, uh, especially now that St. Louis County has been run for quite a while now by Democrats as well. In fact, one of the notable things is that County Executive Steve Stinger has said nothing, nothing that I'm aware of about the St. Louis mayor's race. And, and he's a former and he's a former 16th Ward resident. Too. Yeah, so my point being is that there have been times... Maybe he's just accounting how many times you say 16th Ward in a podcast. Jason. Even Continue when it was a Republican. This is back in the days when Shamel got elected and Gene McNary, who's a Republican, was the county executive. They started working together on a number of issues. But the point was, all of this activity really elevated the city's profile. So it, I think it will, it can very well, um, whoever is elected, for different reasons, um, make a big difference in where the city fits in the region and how the city is viewed nationally. Rachel, what do you think? The city, the mayor of St. Louis is still, in many ways, the face of the region. More people are probably going to know who the mayor of St. Louis is than know who the county executive is, because most of the time when people see, you know, the Cardinals, the Blues, the sports events, whatever, it's all in the city. It's the, you know, the mayor's face is welcoming you at the airport, not Steve Stanger's face (laughs) is welcoming you at the airport. And in some ways, even though the mayor is relatively in the scheme of things weak, they can still set the agenda by working with aldermen. It was Mayor Slay's idea to push for the minimum wage and chain cone carried it over the the finish line, if you will. So, you know, it, it's may not be as strong of a mayor as, you know, the old machine systems or as Chicago still has, but there's still some power there to set the agenda. And it's still sort of the face of the person that you want to be representing you and setting the tone. Well, thank you all for joining us on this very special edition of the Politically Speaking podcast. If you are a resident of the city of St. Louis, I highly recommend, as the host of this show, that you vote um, tomorrow. Um, as as both Joe and Rachel indicated, it's it's important for the future that people remain involved in who they choose as their leaders, both at the top and at the aldermanic level. And in, in a competitive race like this, your vote could matter in determining who wins. So for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow me. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At our Lipman, two P's, two N's. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis, that's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Check back at stlpublicradio.org to find our voter's guide, as Rachel mentioned at the beginning of the show, and to have our breakdown of all the results. We'll be back soon. Until then, so long.